Welcome to the Digital Investors Podcast with Matt and Liz Rad, where we explore how you can invest in the new digital economy with expert interviews, proven strategies, and stories of success. Get inspired to grow your portfolio for the future. Welcome everyone to the Digital Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rudd, and today we have a very special guest, David Tao. Now, not only is David an ultra high achiever, sorry, David, I've just got to say that because you your story, man, but David has successfully exited a very large niche passion site. And what I'm really excited about is you're going to see in this interview, David is, like myself, very passionate about niche passion sites and that we had a really good chat about um how they work and and what he's been able to do and what i want you to do today if you're listening to this if you have a goal for a seven or eight figure website this is the podcast you need to listen to because david has kindly agreed to come along and share the steps that it took him to get to that point he's just exited a very niche website one of the world's leading passion sites i would say and not only has he exited it, but he grew that within just six years. So, David, thank you so much for coming along. Your story is seriously impressive. I, I, high fives to you and your and your co-founders, and and also to your to your acquirers. But I do want to say a special thank you for coming along to speak to us about your journey and what it took to grow that site. Can you tell us first and foremost? the awesome niche that you decided to build your website in all those years ago. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk, to talk about this because I picked the niche based on what I was passionate about. I was a competitive strength athlete, a weightlifter, then a CrossFitter uh, for years, and uh, was also a professional journalist and, and writer and editor. And I really got to combine those two passions. So the company that I co-founded, uh, it was it was my idea. I remember buying the URL for about seven bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is is called it's called Barbend, and we own Barbend. We own Breaking Muscle. Uh, the company was acquired about three months ago. So we're still kind of in that transition phase and I'm still very much with the company, but I always wanted a place where I could get the latest and greatest news on strength training, strength sports, what the research said, opinions. I didn't want just what was going on in weightlifting. I wanted what was going on in weightlifting and powerlifting and CrossFit and strongman. You know, this was not so long ago. This was early 2016. And even back then, you couldn't get the results from the World's Strongest Man competition until months after the competition was over because it was a TV broadcast. No one was really writing on it. Yeah, crazy. So this is a day, you know, we think 2016, we think we're deep in Web 2.0 and everything is kind of accessible on demand. But what I found was if I wanted to figure out what powerlifting world records were or what was going on in weightlifting, there was no place to go for that. There was there were things on like there were these little forums on the web, or sometimes you had to go to a newsstand and buy the old muscle magazines to get results. This is in 2016. And there was there were some people they had blogs online or they were posting on social, but there was no like one place that conglomerated all this great info. There was no home for people who were really interested in lifting weights and getting stronger online. And I thought, well. I'm passionate about this. It brings me a lot of energy. You know, and I went to my co-founders and I said, I think this is worth investing in. I think this is worth really trying because I think there are people like me out there 
I bet we can make a successful site. We didn't know how successful it would become and how much it would grow, but I thought, I think we can, we can build something, you know, maybe get a couple million readers uh, a year. And I think yeah. that'd be really fun. And so you know what? A, just I, a I, modest goal, David. Just a couple yeah. million readers a year. Yeah. <laughs> just a, a, modest, a modest goal at the time. And, you know, spoiler alert, we, we grew, I think, beyond our ambitions. We had th over 31 million readers in 2022. Awesome. So a little bit beyond a couple million, yep. and we we are we are really the home for strength training online. So if you want news about what's happening, or the latest research, or how tos, or opinion, or nutrition, or recovery, or product reviews, we're kind of the place for it. And I I think one reason I I'll just get ahead of the curve here. My founders and I we don't have um, nothing's keeping us there, right? Um, wow. We don't have to stay. Uh, you know, the, the acquisition was not contingent, I should say, on us staying there. Um, yeah. But we're there and still there because we think that if we keep putting work into this with the amazing team we have and now with more resources, resources than ever, we think it's going to be the biggest fitness site online in a couple of years, like overall, right? And I just really want to get up in the morning and say that I founded the world's largest fitness media company. Like yeah. that'd be really not just strength media, but like fitness media, like fitness. as someone who grew up reading men's health and muscular development, like it'd be really cool to say I yeah. I did that. I know it's really arrogant to say, but it gets me motivated and I'm as excited as ever, even post acquisition, because I absolutely love the niche. Gotcha. So now, so this makes perfect sense because now you're going to the next level of your journey. You've got the resources behind you. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to sell out to a big player to give us the resources to go for your real goal, which is, hey, why not? Let's go for the world's biggest fitness site. And it all started from a small little, you know, passion blog type idea. But one, can you mention too, to give our readers an idea, you just mentioned the size of it now just before we go into it so that people do realize the awesomeness that you've, you and you guys have already achieved, like talk about being competitive, but you mentioned 31 million readers and the sales, what sort of sales do you do? Or, well, you call it GMV and explain yeah. what it means to our, to our listeners. Sorry. Yeah, no, thank you for asking. We monetize in a, in a few different ways. And, and I will say that if you're starting a, a niche website, you, you should look at a few different ways to monetize because yep. we are still at the mercy of the algorithm or algorithms, right? And you want to diversify your revenue streams if possible. So we, like a lot of sites, we have enough traffic to where we monetize via, via programmatic ads. And we don't share those numbers specifically. No, um, that's fine. You know, yep. Yeah. Some, now, some people can probably guess, and some people have actually guessed really closely. I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to say what. Well, going um, off but your if you're, traffic, and, but I, I yeah, won't do the formula here if, for anyone. If, but you, if, I, if I, My smart, guess is it begins with A and ends in lots. <laughs> you, you, if you're smart, you can narrow it down. So we don't share those numbers, but the numbers we do, we actually do share. We're fine sharing. Um, so we monetize with that. We monetize with direct advertising. So, you know, we have newsletters, podcasts, articles, and, and um, companies can sponsor those directly. We monetize that way as well. And another way we monetize is via affiliate revenue, which is something that should be no mystery to anyone listening to this podcast. And if it is a mystery, I'm about to tell you a little bit more about it. So it won't be, um, you know, we make a, a, commission when we drive sales to partners. And obviously we disclose and disclaim this. For example, our reviews content has its own team, has its own editorial team. That's how seriously we take, hey, that's separate from other editorial content. It has its own disclaimers, its own standards. And in 2022, I think this is a bit of an underestimate, but but 
so it's it's more than this. We drove over nineteen million dollars in merchandise sales for our affiliate partners, right? So um, we made a, a, we make a portion of of that, um, yep. and uh, you know I think that where where we ended up we, we're now uh, a pillar four company. And across its fitness verticals, because Pillar 4 has several, I think we're on track to do close to 100 million in GMV. So to drive close to 100 million in in sales across the Pillar 4 fitness vertical this year, which is super exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're playing at a big scale now. So, David, at this point, how old are you? I'm 33. Um, 33. Like... And- and I don't feel a day over 45. And uh, so, <laughs> well, so we're going to get it, into that in a minute. But <laughs> congratulations. Did you ever think, say, 10 years ago, you know, in your early 20s, you know, you're into strength training and stuff that this would lead one day to $100 million in sales? I I didn't. Um, and I want to be clear, the $100 million is across all of Pillar Force yeah, Fitness that's properties. Right. So there's some, there's some but, great ones. Yeah. Yeah, but we're, you're, we're, you're we're, an integral part of that of that company and driving those as well. In your own blog, you did, what, $20 million pretty much. That Yeah. It, it's, it's a bit surreal. I got to be honest with you. I got my start in content and in the startup realm at a time when everyone thought they become, could become billionaires overnight. Um, yeah. This is the days of like... Yeah. When Snapchat was getting off the ground, Facebook was IPOing. Everyone thought they had the next billion-dollar idea. Turns out, a lot of those companies did not do so well. Uh, you know, a lot of the companies people thought were going to be really big, and especially in content. Um, you know, for your listeners, people who are thinking about really going in on uh, building a a digital media property potentially or a website, when we started Barbin in 2016, we got some early traction. We decided we were going to try and raise money. Because we wanted some money to, Barbin was not profitable until 2020. So we had four years of not being profitable. And we knew it was going to take a while to get there. So we wanted to raise, we bootstrapped as much as we could, but eventually the founders, we didn't have money to scale. We raised our seed round and we wanted to raise about a million bucks. And we went to dozens of institutional investors, specifically venture capitalists, and it did not go well. Okay. Because people were not looking at niche content. People people said, well, you know, we want BuzzFeed or we want you to be Vice Media or we want to invest in those. Spoiler alert, Vice Media is now bankrupt and BuzzFeed, the stock price, I don't know, it's worth the co- whole company's worth a lot less than the money they raised. And it's not saying those are bad companies. They're, they've done amazing things and they push the envelope. But we had a heck of a time raising money and we ended up having to go with a friends and family round. And it was really, we ended up raising about $800,000 and it was really begging people we knew, some in the fitness industry, some not to just believe in in the idea. And we were not able to raise the money we thought we could. And we were not able to raise from the kind of investors we thought we could. And so I just do want, I just want to point out, you know, ultimately our investors did very well. They're very happy. Yep. But it was. It just so happened to be that the conventional wisdom at the time uh, did not predict the future, right? So for those of you who are out there, and if you fundamentally disagree, I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong, but if you fundamentally disagree with a business proposition or outlook that a certain group of people have, they might be wrong and you might be right, right? Yep. It, we got lucky. They were wrong. We were right. Um, and I'm not going to say we predict the future all the time, but... I think with the digital landscape, things can change. And especially with niche content, it's very tough to predict 
how big an audience can be or how big an audience can grow. Because people interested in lifting weights right now, there are a lot more of them than when we started in 2016. Yeah, and and that's something that I I, I want to. You've just raised a few really interesting questions there in my mind. As someone, I'm a professional investor, angel investor, and we look at companies like yours. And it's interesting when you and I connected up. You, you told me like how difficult it was. The VCs didn't want to touch you because. So for those of you listening, what David just said was because this was in this was only not that long ago, 2016. So niche in their mind. They didn't see the value. Whereas anyone listening to this podcast, David, is like you. We're all passionate about passion websites in very specific vertical niches like weight weight lifting, you know, dog training, you know, um, anything to do with health or, or, or yeah. and you know, food blogs, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm interested though, I'm going to come back to something. There's, there's something going on here with you because you weren't so most of our listeners and say all our successful particularly our successful graduates they're really good at buying and building these passion sites getting them profitable they earn a really good income like you you know one of the people that we've interviewed on here james delacy he owns yeah. a strength and training site and you heard he makes about 10 to 20 grand a month hey that's really you know and he wants to grow that as well um that's our typical kind of client making 10 to 20 thousand dollars a month off these niche passion sites and as you know that's really good money. It's good for someone working at home by themselves. Here's the bit where it gets interesting. Like I started this podcast, anyone that wants to go seven to eight figures. Now, this is really interesting. I've got you sitting right in front of me who's done that. What was the difference? Because you obviously saw something and you went for it to the point where you are happy to walk away from the profitability side, you know, 10 to 20 grand a month, a great income for someone working from home, but you and your guys decided, no, we see a real opportunity here. We can really go for it. Let's look for the long term. What helped you, what gave you that confidence that you could go the long term, raise funds and get it to profitability. And obviously it suddenly went, yeah, you hit a point where it does go very profitable, but I'm interested in the journey before that. For someone's sake who's listening, they need to realize if you really want to go for that seven and eight figure deal, here's some of the stuff you need to do. So for you, and I guess also you were working with some co-founders. What what do you think made the, yeah, what gave you that confidence back then to just really step on the accelerator here? Yeah, when we started Barbend, I was pretty much writing all the articles. Uh, we hadn't decided to raise yet, but what really did it was there were, there were a series of events, of uh, strength sports events in 2016, yep. and we saw these massive traffic spikes. We, we suddenly saw, you know, we were getting 60,000 visitors a day um, for some of these events, or maybe even more. And I remember going, wait a minute, that there are a lot of folks interested. Um, we're getting that organically, right? People are finding our content. We were getting linked as a primary source in Wikipedia pages. Uh, we were getting links from mainstream outlets because we were writing on this in a way that was really journalistic and really no one else was doing or not many others were doing. And those spikes really convinced us this is worth going for. Now, uh, one of those was the world's strongest man in 2016. Uh, it, another, it just so happened to be an Olympic year, the Rio Olympics. I remember writing yep. recaps of every weightlifting session at the Rio Olympics myself. I believe there were 16 that year, eight for the men, eight for the women. Yeah. And we were getting linked to as a primary source because we had the results of, at least in the US, quicker than NBC did. 
which is the broadcaster for the Olympics in the U.S. And we, we started getting these Wikipedia links because the Wikipedia editors wanted to get the results up and they saw us as a primary source and we were citing our sources and um, we were writing the background and we actually knew these, you know, knew who the athletes were and we were giving context and really helping so, you know, people could get just the results if they wanted to go deeper, they can read further along. And those results really indicated to us that this had a lot of opportunity and that we could in theory build something that was more than a lifestyle business there's nothing wrong with lifestyle businesses in fact my founders and i we we had experimented with those with some success right you know a, a blog throwing throwing off 10 to 20k a month we had some experience with that uh, and those are great but we saw an opportunity here based on some of those early traffic spikes and it was a bit of a risk, right? Because right. sometimes you look at the, your most successful days and you're like, what if that could be every day? And it might not ever get there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, our theory was, well, on the days that, on those event days, a lot of people are interested. What if, but they're probably interested in other things in strength all the time. Okay. So what if we could capture that every day? And we could grow that every day. And we also believed that the community of folks who were interested in that kind of stuff was going to grow year over year. And it has. Um, so that was really the inflection point for us, those events. Uh, it was it was World Strongest Man that year, the CrossFit Games that year, and the Rio Olympics that year. We're really kind of like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So you, you guys were seeing, I guess, behind the scenes, hey, whilst we're in this, what appears on the surface to be a very micro well not micro niche but a, a, a very specific niche strength training you were getting way bigger traffic than you expected at certain events and you yep. realized there could be a bigger opportunity here now mm -hmm. one thing then that brings us to something else is there's a couple of you what i want people to realize is to your your background because you were already in in many ways you're already i guess <laughs> trained for this because you mentioned your background before you started the blog. What did you do? Let's have a look at how you got it started because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast. They're just yeah. starting out as well, but I want them to realize what's involved if you want to go big, but your unique skill sets and your founders, unique skill sets that you guys had. Yeah, I had a background in editorial. So my first career was as a journalist after after college, a business journalist specifically, but I was also a competitive weightlifter. Um, and I, I love this stuff. Yep. Um, I actually co-owned a gym. Uh, oh, you wow. know, I owned a portion of a CrossFit gym in New. I owned a portion of a CrossFit gym in New York, cool. um, starting a, a couple of years before Barbara started, or about a year and a half before Barbara started. So I was in that community. I'd also done some writing work for uh, the CrossFit Games website way back in the day. It was a very different, different thing than it is now. I had written um, for a number of fitness-related sites. I'd actually written some business of fitness pieces for Forbes.com. And so I had this editorial skill set, and I knew that I could really churn out a lot of content myself. And we could, we would have enough. I could, I was like, I think I could churn out enough content to see if this will work and to prove traction. Right. Now, I'm not scalable, right? Like I, I can only yeah. top out at a certain point. And my co-founders had significant backgrounds in SEO, and they had significant back, technical backgrounds in optimizing the sites to be fast and visually appealing and SEO optimized. And they also had a background in both ads and affiliate marketing. Right. So, so kind we of thought like we a, could it, like, like for anyone listening, that'd be like a graduate from one of our courses. So they, 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 they're at the point where they 
So were they running their own little digital agency and stuff yep. and building websites yeah. for local businesses and things? Yeah, we actually met. We were doing uh, some, we met doing some SEO work for, or the first project we worked on. We had met before, but the first project we worked on together was uh, for the Univers University of California's medical school system, their websites. And I was brought in as like a content consultant and they kind of had the SEO lift and we had to kind of combine forces. And, and we realized, we're like, wait, I, I can build content systems and teams. You all are great at SEO and the back end. What if we kind of what have we kind of melded those together? They already had some clients. They already had a couple, a couple at the time, smaller affiliate sites they were running as well. Um, you know, they, they basically said, hey, why don't you come on as a partner? And I said, cool, I also have this other idea. I'll come on, but I have this other idea, but I want to add more work. I want to give us more work. What if we do that? And they said, okay, let's do it. And some of those other sites we actually exited between 2019 and 2020 um, and then kind of went all even further all in on Barbend. So... We 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 have we have seen sites at all levels. You know, the sites making ten and twenty grand a month, we've exited those. Um, the sites that are significantly larger, barbend size, we've exited those um, or exited that, I should say. Yeah. Um, and so we had complementary skill sets as, as well, and I, I think that was really um, that was really useful. And the fact that we had some other sites that were already revenue positive and that we were still doing client work and getting some income from clients. We knew that if Barbend started growing, we could phase that client work out, out. Oh, which is what we David, did. Thank you so much for that because that's what our guys want to hear. So they realize, mm -hmm. so a lot of our, our student members, we, that's the other way we teach them the cash flow, them building up a portfolio of websites, which is do a bit of agency work, helping local yep. businesses. You've just done this at massive scale with, and admittedly there's three of you originally. And so over time you, you had affiliate sites, lifestyle style businesses. And then as you got bigger and bigger, you just stepped on the accelerator and more focused on the big, big winner, which was Barbend obviously, but, and you let the others you exited the others. So th this is absolutely fantastic. So David, going back to, you're a machine now. So you're a, you're in a, a, you know, you're already trained in this space. Give us a, a taste of what it was like for you. Obviously, you were the driver of Barbend. That was your passion site. How many articles we, did you start pumping out onto that site to really get it lift off? If I can take you back to 2016, what did you do oh. to really go for it? You're getting my blood pressure spiking already with that question. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm only kind of joking. Uh, I was writing personally some weeks more than 30 articles a week um okay. it was a it was a lot it was yeah. a slog um i you know i couldn't do it again I, I i just to be honest with you i had to really you know it was not scalable it was not sustainable yep. and for me um the fundraising was a way for us to unlock the potential wow. to actually hire people yep. to to scale because not only was it something that I knew couldn't scale. It was something that I knew I couldn't do forever. Yep. Right. I, I just, I just couldn't, I, my, my, I wouldn't be able to maintain that. Um, and so that was an impetus for us to, to fundraise as, as well, but you know what? I'm glad I did it. It was a way, you know, someone asked uh, originally, I, I, I did an AMA recently on a, on a marketing with a marketing group and they asked, well, what was the cost of your content what was like the marginal cost of your content when you started and i said it was my time that yeah. was the marginal cost of our content that was it that was that was my time and obviously it's different now we we have full-time staff uh we upwards of 20 full-time staff we have 
paid freelancers and contributors from around the globe. Some people who are, you know, everyone from gold, Olympic gold medal winners to researchers to coaches. Um, so our cost of content has changed. Yeah. But, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to test and we wanted to see if it would work. And I think we were in a position to really double down on my knowledge as a big nerd in the niche because I really yeah. loved this stuff. Yes. Yeah, so and yeah. I'm building up a picture in my mind. You and your team, you bootstrapped everything saying that first year, but you had these other websites and you know, online businesses that were helping to cash flow things. But basically it was your time at first. Who were your first hires? Was it was it mainly just getting on board a couple of writers what was that next writers and writers and editors writers and editors. it was just how can we grow editorial capacity those were our only hires for the first three or four years okay oh that's it so that's yeah so if you're listening to this is exactly what we teach you guys the number one bottleneck in this game is just getting writers and and editors on just content constant content to really so say in the second and and third to fourth year you, you know in when you launched this, it was you, 30 articles a week, mate. Well done. That is seriously impressive amongst all the other stuff, you know, with the other sites that you're doing and your own training and everything. But once you started to hire a few editors, say in the, let's say the second, third year, what was the velocity of articles like then? What, and versus, I guess, the, the traffic too. Can you, can you remember back then? Yeah. So in our first year, we got about 1.4 million readers. Um, as far as velocity, yeah, thank you. As far as all or pretty much all organic, as far as velocity of content, I actually don't think that's the best metric. And I don't think, um, for us, and I'll explain why, you know, yeah. we, when we started, I was only writing news content. I was only okay. writing news content. Ah. Uh, and I was writing a lot of news content, but the content we produce now, we produce more of it now, but we don't produce 200 articles a week. Um, and that's because even though our team is much, much bigger, and that's because a lot of the content we produce, we produce a lot of evergreen content. We produce a lot of very in-depth content. We produce content that we think is the best. You know, writing a 500-word news recap is a lot different than writing the ultimate piece on how to deadlift, yeah. right? You know, one of those is going to take more time with multimedia and doing original video and GIFs. Like, one of those is going to take more time. And so we cast a much broader net. And one thing that we've done over the years as we've grown is we've gotten into more evergreen content. We started writing reviews. Like we, we started niche within niche, right? So we we're like, we'll do new strength news content. And now we do strength content. We've gotten broader, right? Um, and now we're doing some broader fitness content and wellness content. Gotcha. So I think it's okay to go sub niche and then grow from there. Okay. And and so for someone listening here, what a, in, when you look back at your journey, thinking you know, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are lifestyle bloggers, you know, making good money, but they're de deciding, do we go the next level? They hear your inspirational story, David, and they go, okay, this is what it takes. Are there any key lessons? Because obviously that, that, that would have taken a lot of work back in those days. Did it, did it for you, here's a question for you. Did it start to get easier as you put on more editors or did it, do, or does it just build up? What, what actually happens when you start hitting those seven and eight figures in terms of traffic and everything? What, what did it, did, did it change much for you personally? The challenges just evolve because you become, there was no people management in the early days of Barbend, yep, right? Exactly. It was, it was, you know, and then, 
as our team grew, people management became a thing. I wasn't CEO to start. We didn't have a CEO until 2020, no. and we had I grown to the period. We had grown to the size where it's like, oh, we actually need an executive structure. So I became CEO. One of my co-founders, Kenny Klein, became president, um, and he's now president of the fitness vertical at Pillar Four. Um, and we. Yeah, we needed that structure, right? So the challenges became very different, right? The challenges became, how do we keep people motivated? How do we empower them to be the best at what they do, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still, in your mind, as it was growing, it was still the same business model though, just get really good content on onto the website. That's Is that the fundamental um, way you've grown this? If you look back at it, is it, is it yeah. that that's pretty much the business model still to this day? Yeah, people ask, they always, uh, I get a lot of questions about, uh, not on this podcast, but I get a lot of questions uh, yeah. and people say, well, when are you going to start selling products? When are you going to have Barbin branded products? Yep. Content is our product. Yes. Our product is content okay. and we monetize that content in a number of ways. To be honest with you, I'm not saying you'll never see a Barbin brand. We actually did sell weightlifting belts for a while because we found someone who made custom-made, handmade leather belts that we really liked. And you can actually buy those on our website. They said Barbin on them for a little bit. Those are kind of cool. But then we stopped that years ago. That was just kind of a fun thing to do, right? Um, and we would sell like a couple a day. We, what I, I wouldn't know the first thing about doing inventory for a product or how to run a warehouse or how to run fulfillment. What I do know is how to build an editorial team and a content team. Perfect. And so our con our product, you know, people when you when you go start selling products, our con our product is content. And we have found ways to monetize that. It's not always the easiest, right? It's not like you write an article and someone gives you a set amount of money and like the transaction is done, right? Yeah. Um, but the power and value of that content can accrue over time, as I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast know. And it's okay to treat that like a product, and you want to produce the best possible product. And and when and when you think about it, Barbend is such is a product. It's a brand. You've invested into the brand, and that's now become over the last six years an incredibly valuable asset. To the point where someone's you know a big aggregator's come and and acquired you guys, and. That's what, if you're listening to this, this is what you're building. You're building an asset out of, you know, your smarts in your head and putting it down into, into a brandable um, online asset. And so, David, when you look around in the niche, you know, some media, traditional media companies, they're, they're being replaced by people like us and yourself, yeah. you know, building these niche sites. For someone listening what what are you what have you seen or what are your thoughts on that on that space like becoming these niche sites have you got other friends that are doing it because you've obviously owned lots of other niche sites as well over the years as you've said and you've you've just sold them off what, what what's your thoughts because we want to inspire our listeners here to realize this is obviously my bias is this is an incredibly valuable thing to do and and an asset to create but for you personally because you've gone on this whole journey from owning small lifestyle passion sites through to now doing the big one and you're involved and you're going to go to the next level you're going to be like the world leader in this space i want to capture you this moment in time for someone just starting out what are your thoughts there what would you say to someone doing that i would say it's okay to get high on your own supply in that it's okay to approach a niche that you are personally passionate about i think that there is an opinion that if you're if you personally love the niche or space, it makes you unobjective, 
and it blinds you and it makes you it makes it difficult for you to be objective about the space. I actually think one of the most powerful things in niche content is authenticity. Awesome. I truly think that. And if you can be authentic, that means a heck of a lot. Yeah. And, and so for you, like being a, you know, a a power lifter and, and, and into um, weightlifting, I mean, that's the roots of this whole, this whole business that you've built up. That's your personal passion for the topic. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That is my mark of authenticity. And as someone who's producing the original content for Barbend, that hopefully uh, could be felt or sensed by our readers. And that was really valuable. And so what's next for you? Like I know you've said you're going to build this into the big, um, into the one of the world's biggest or the world's biggest fitness site. So as your as your journey, if you look back over it, you started out quite niche, you've broadened it, broadened it, broadened it gotten acquired by pillar four media just quickly on pillar four media actually can you tell us a little bit about about those guys and why they acquired you like what's the story there how did they discover you guys we had a relationship with pillar four actually um and we'd been following along with what they did and we really liked how they were building like brand brand first media companies, right? Building brands, not building kind of empty brands, not trying to like cut corners, not trying to hide things. Like they they were like, cool, we're gonna put our people out in front. You know, you can go to the pillar four. I think I, I don't know if Barben's up there just yet because it's still yeah. relatively new, but like you can see what companies they own, right? I, I you know, I, I, there are a lot of sites out there where you can't figure out who owns them. Like who's actually powering this? Like who's behind the scenes here? There's not a lot of behind the scenes at Pillar 4. It's all out there. They're treating this like a real company with real people, and they, they want to build and grow brands that they're proud of. And so when they came along with an offer, a couple things were important. Um, the math was right. I won't go into too much detail, but it was, it was we thought it was a good offer for everyone involved, including our investors, which we had an obligation to. We thought it was a really good opportunity for our employees. They wanted to keep our whole team. They didn't want to scrap the website for parts, you know, and then like, and like, and, and just squeeze every drop out of it. They were like, cool. We think Barbin's still growing. We want to grow Barbin. We want to give you all more resources. One of the first things that happened after the Pillar 4 acquisition was we hired more people, right? That's so yeah. cool, right? That we hired quicker. Cool. We hired, Yeah. And I was like, this is great. And so their mentality of Barbin is great. How can we add fuel to the engine was really impactful. And they've, they've definitely put their resources where their mouth is. And that's been really great to see. And I've really enjoyed, I've only been there for three, for a few months. I've really enjoyed my time there. Right. Cause I feel like I have more resources, more support. I don't have to answer all the HR questions. There are people I can go to for that. Like it's yeah. actually been really great. And you know, again, they want to they want Barbin to keep growing. They're not trying to squeeze every drop out of what Barbin is now. They want Barbin to keep getting bigger and bigger, which was our goal as well. We just had more res- we just have more resources to do it now. Um, and so that's one reason I'm really excited to be there. And I honestly could not imagine a better home for for Barbend and Breaking Muscle than uh, than where we ended up. And so, what's your day to day life? like now is it still you're just you personally i mean are you still just really focused on content what 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 does it look like now that you know you've been acquired by a big buyer yeah you've got obviously different obligations too it's not just to investors you, you know you've got obligation to pillar four i got a lot of bosses now yeah yeah, yeah. I, what, what's it yeah what's everyday life like for you 
Well, a little bit of this. This is this is a highlight of my week. I get to sit down and talk about Barbin. I'm counting this as work. I'm, I'm on Thank the you. clock, technically. Yeah. Um, so I get to do this. I get to try and tell the Barbin story in new and cool ways. Um, and a lot of that's in the fitness industry and a little bit outside, you know, kind of like this. I This is not a fitness, quote unquote, podcast, but we still get to talk about what we've done and what we've built and what we're still building and what we're proud of. Um, okay. And so I really enjoy that. And I've got to do more of that. I've, I've done a lot of that in the fitness space, doing it outside of the fitness space. I just have more bandwidth to do that. In addition, we are launching, uh, we're with new resources, we're diving back into the video space, which is something we put on pause a couple of years ago. I still host the Barbin podcast. We might actually might actually be launching some new podcast properties soon. Um, yeah, so I just get to like get, I, I'm working on, uh, new initiatives and, and integrating with our new with our new team members because we we really want to keep growing the written content but we want to grow our multimedia as well and so i've been i've been plugging in there in a really fun way while still telling the barben story and sharing what you know how how we did what we did um and, and that's been that's been a lot of fun so it's, it's always a real highlight of my week and i get to start off with this on a monday so i'm excited a monday my time i think you're ahead of you're ahead of me so yeah yeah uh, we're recording this on a yeah, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, my time. So uh, I, I, I get a lot of energy out of doing these things. Yeah, that, and so in a way, you're, you're the brand ambassador now, helping to, and you've got unlimited resources behind you. What, what does Pillar for Media look to do? Does it own other, are you guys, does it own yeah. other, like what verticals is it involved in? Yeah, the four pillars of wellness. So it's fitness, sleep, uh, nutrition, and uh, mental health. Um, so there is, uh, you know, some are more, they actually started kind of in the sleep space. They've moved into the fitness space. There are, there are, I, you know, pillar four is a, still a young company. It's actually, I think only started technically in 2017. Um, so there's still, or maybe even 2018. So still a young company, but growing very quickly as they expand to these multiple pillars of, of wellness. Um, so, you know, pillar four is a little under, uh, geez, I don't even know how many employees now. It's. I remember when we first met Pillar Fours back in 2020, and they're much bigger than they were then. I don't even. I don't. I don't. Um, you know, a lot of new faces, but it's been really cool. Um, and uh, I, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I've been really enjoying my time with the company. Well, that is just so awesome, David. It is, and it's infectious. Your your enthusiasm for this and what you've done over the last six years. I do want to say a massive congratulations, and it's seriously impressive, and particularly in such a fascinating niche. Uh, strength training and, and weightlifting and to see that journey, how you can build that out over time. But it's really interesting that you guys have owned other portfolio sites or lifestyle blogs as well. And you've cash flowed everything and also raised funds. You've done the whole journey. Massive congratulations. I do want to say a big thank you for sharing with our Australian audience how you've been able to build a really big site in a very specific passion niche. And for those of you who are listening, if, you, if you're if you new to this and you want to learn how to do what David's done, go and listen to our free masterclass where we lay out a similar strategy. This is what we teach here at eBusiness Institute, how you build passion sites and build out portfolios of websites so that hopefully one day you, like David, can build it into millions of views, millions of sales. Awesome. It is incredibly exciting, David. Thanks so much for coming along today. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. I had a really great time. Awesome. You've been listening to a Digital Investors Podcast with Matt and Liz Rad from the eBusiness Institute. If you'd like more great content, interviews and inspiration, make sure you subscribe here in your podcast app or visit digitalinvestors.com for more insights into the future of investing online.